Would you take your Bible, please, and find the book of Revelation? The book of Revelation in the Word of God, the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 in the Word of God. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. When you find that, Revelation chapter 12, if you could direct your eye, please, to verse 11. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. Let's note what the Bible has to say. Revelation 12 and verse 11. It says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto the death. Father, I pray that you'd help us as we look into your word tonight. We need understanding, and we need the illumination and conviction of your Holy Spirit. So I pray that you would work in a special way. We ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In February the 22nd, 1980, the, the hockey world was abuzz with a hockey game that was to take place in Lake Placid, New York. The game was to be played uh, with the United States hockey team against the Russian hockey team. Now, the Russian national hockey team at that time was the number one seed in the world. The Russians at that time had won every single hockey game they had played since the year 1968. They had not lost, not one time had the Russians lost a single hockey game. By contrast, the Americans were a seven seed. And, uh, you know, they were, in the, they were in the running, but uh, everyone knew there was no way the American hockey team was going to win. I mean, everybody was better than the Americans, it seemed like, especially the Russians. Nobody could beat the Russians. Everybody knew it. Well, they, uh, they came to Lake Placid, New York, the, the Russians, and the, the Americans at least held a home ice advantage, but everybody knew the outcome of the game. I mean, the, it, was, it was just a matter of what the score was going to be. Nobody could beat the Russians at that time. Time. And so no one was surprised when the Russians went out to a two goal to nothing lead. And the announcers started going into that mode of blowout mode. Have you ever heard announcers go into blowout mode? They start talking about the guy who cleans the ice between the matches, you know, and uh, they start talking about the coach's family and, uh, and his grandkids and, you know, anything, anything they can do to get your mind off of the idea that this hockey game is a blowout. And they want you to keep your television tuned to that channel when in reality the game's not very exciting. It's a boring game. Well, that's the, they were going into conciliatory mode because the Americans were down two to one. Well, to everyone's surprise, in the second period, the Americans tied the match at two to two. Now all of a sudden the Russians were looking around there thinking, well, now wait a minute. This game is tied. And uh, then, to everyone's surprise, the Americans scored again. And now the Russians were looking at... They hadn't been here in 12 years. They had not been in a place where they were behind. I mean, everyone knew they were the mighty juggernaut in the international hockey world. They were going to run over these little Americans. They were going to just absolutely destroy them. And suddenly the Russians found themselves down three goals to two. And the Russians began to, they began to panic a little bit. I mean, they were shooting and shooting and shooting. And thanks to probably the greatest 
game of this particular goalie's life, this American goalie's life, by the time th all three periods had expired, the Americans had won the game three to two, and it went down in hockey history under the name the Miracle on Ice. Now, was it a miracle? I don't know. Maybe the American team just got lucky. I don't know. But why would anybody call that a miracle, a hockey game? Why would they refer to that as a miracle? I'll tell you why. Because in the mind of the hockey world, a seemingly undefeatable foe was beaten. That's why they refer to it as a miracle. Because in the mind of hockey fans and people who follow hockey, there was no way anyone could defeat the Russians, and yet an undefeatable foe was beaten. Now, here in Revelation chapter 12, we have some interesting language. In verse 11, we have the language of victory, and we have the language of defeat. Notice what it says. Verse 11, they, we'll find out who they are in a moment, they overcame him. So the word overcome is there. A group of people is overcoming an individual. That's what it says. And then the Bible says, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They loved not their lives unto the death. So here, it, it, the language of victory and defeat is here. Somebody won the victory and somebody suffered defeat. So let's see, let's look at the text and let's discover who was victorious and who suffered defeat. That's important. Let's know what the Bible says. Please go with me to verse 9, Revelation 12 and verse 9. Would you look there, please? The Bible says, And the great dragon was cast out. Well, who's the dragon? Well, the Bible's going to describe him further. That old serpent, the Bible says, called the devil and Satan. I'm pretty sure I know who it is by now, right? <laughs> he pretty much makes it plain. The dragon, the, the devil, the Satan. All right, so this is the one. He was cast out in verse 9. All right, now notice, this is the one which deceiveth the whole world. Wow. I haven't traveled the whole world, but I have traveled to a couple other continents other than North America and I will tell you this, the devil is in the business of deceiving people all over the world. The devil is in the business of deceiving people in Asia. The devil is in the business of deceiving people in Central America. He's in the business of deceiving people in South America and North America. And he's in the business of deceiving people in Europe and Africa. I'm just, just go down the list. The Bible says he deceiveth the whole world. But, but, in this verse of Scripture, that person, that individual, Satan, is cast down. That's a good thing. All right, so the Bible says he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Well, hey, that's good news. So sometime in the future, we don't know exactly when, but the devil is going to be cast out. That's a wonderful thing. But now wait, let's look at verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down. 
which accused them before our God day and night. Now, the accuser of the brethren, that's the devil, that's Satan, okay? So, in, in, verse, uh, in verse 10, everybody is rejoicing. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ has come because the accuser, the one who accused the brethren, he has been cast out. All right, now, now we go into verse 11, okay? So here we go. And they, well, now, wait a minute. They is what we call in our English language a pronoun. It's tied to another noun, right? Don't mean to get egg-headed here, but we understand that. So, who are the they? Well, now we've read it in verse 10. The Bible says, the accuser of our brethren. And the brethren are the they. Does that make sense? We understand that. We all speak English here. We, we get that. So, the people that are overcoming him are the brethren. Let me tell you what that means. That means people who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. That's what it means. Now, the him here is the devil. It's the accuser of the brethren. It's the adversary. It's Satan. That's who he's talking about. So the, in this passage of Scripture, in this verse of Scripture, we have some good news spiritually because someone that has had power over the earth for so long has deceived so many, he take, takes it in the chin. He gets a black eye. As a matter of fact, he is overcome, the Bible says. That's good news, isn't it? That's great news. I want to tell you, as I travel across the world, there are times when the devil seems like an undefeatable foe. There are times when I look into families and I see all the damage that the devil has wrought and all the destruction that he has brought. And I think to myself, Lord, how do we even begin to undo the damage that Satan has done? I'm just going to tell you, I come to Thompson, Manitoba, and I see evidence of all kinds of damage that Satan has done. I've seen Satan's damage in families. Satan wants to, to break apart the family by all kinds of means. I mean, this is in, in the United States and here in Canada as well. This is LGBTQIA and plus. I mean, whatever, what more can they add? But uh, they, they put that in there. And we, uh, we understand tonight, I hope we understand that all of those lifestyles represent an attack by Satan on mankind, humankind. It's an attack by Satan. We're seeing an attack on women today as never before. We're seeing an attack on manhood today and men today as never before. This is what bothers me. We're seeing an attack on children today like never before. It's interesting. Whenever a culture turns its back on the God of heaven, they turn their sights on their own children. That's what we're seeing in Western culture today. Oh, it blows my mind and sometimes it moves me to tears. What is it? It's an attack of Satan. And sometimes I look at these little children, I hear the things that they have to go through. I hear the things that they have seen. I hear the things that they have experienced at their young age. And I think this is all the work of Satan. And yet, the Bible tells us that Satan can be defeated. The Bible tells us these people defeated Satan. Now, I want us to see the three ways in which these people defeated Satan because the Bible makes it plain to us how it happened. The Bible says in verse 11, they overcame him, number one, by the blood of the Lamb. Now, if you read the book of Revelation carefully, you're going to find this. The blood of the Lamb is tied to to salvation it's tied to salvation 
If you're saved here tonight, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, the specific aspect, according to the Word of God, is the shed blood of Christ. Here's how the Bible describes it. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. That's what the Bible says in 1 John 1 and verse 7. As a matter of fact, when you read the Bible through, you're going to find that the blood is a very important part of of the the Bible. You're going to find, for example, in Exodus 12 and verse 13, where the, the God of heaven says, The blood shall be, the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. You're going to find, furthermore, in Romans 5 and verse 9, being justified freely by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. You're going to find in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, being justified freely, or excuse me, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. You're going to read in Hebrews 9 and verse 12, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. You're going to find this, ladies and gentlemen, if you know Jesus Christ, it was his blood that washed away your sin. That's why in our song sheets we have a little song. It was written by a Baptist preacher many years ago what can wash away my sin you answer it nothing but the blood of Jesus and when we read about the blood of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament or in in the in the book of Revelation excuse me we are reading about the salvation of of mankind I want to ask you something was there a time in your life when you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior Was there a time that you are certain I repented of my sin, I understood I was a sinner, and I placed my faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I'm going to ask you, when did that happen for you? That's an important question. The Bible refers to that time as being born again. If I were to come to you and say, well, let me ask you this, when were you born? And you say, well, you know, Brother Paul, I, I just think I've always been. You ever met anybody that said that? I, I think I've met a couple people that said that. But I immediately concluded something. You're insane. You have not always been, okay? There was a time, and I, I guarantee if I could talk to your mother, she would tell me about the time that you were physically born. And likewise, there ought to be a time when you are spiritually born again. The Bible says that, the, that, that we are born again by the power of God. Now, I want you to think about something. Um, from time to time, I, I grew up the son of a roofer. My dad was a roofing contractor, and uh, that meant that I was, I, I worked with my hands, I got my hands dirty a lot, and uh, that means that when you come in and you're ready to, when you're ready to, 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 to eat lunch, you got to get cleaned up a little bit. And I don't know, I don't know the way it is here in Canada, but uh, in the United States, some scientists somewhere convinced people that you need to put a kind of soap in the men's bathroom. I don't know, maybe it's in the women's bathroom too, I don't know. But they have this kind of soap in the men's bathroom, and it's foam. They have foam soap around here. What do you do? You put your hand underneath it. Some of them, they just automatically squirt into your hand when you put it underneath it. But I got to say, some of them don't work. You ever have the squirty kind or maybe the faucet that you're supposed to put your hand underneath it, and the water's supposed to come out, but it doesn't work? Or how about the paper towel dispenser? You're supposed to wave in front of the sensor and it doesn't come out. Does that ever happen in Canada? That happens in the United States. And I know, I know 
that some government official is somewhere checking me out, and it's really a camera, and he's going, ha, 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 He's trying to get the paper towels out. He's doing all kinds of things. Won't you please come out? My hands are dripping. I want to get them clean. And, uh, and the soap dispenser and the water is the same thing. I mean, I've seen them where you put the water, you, you wave in front of the sensor, and then you put your water, your hands under the water, and it stops before you get your hands under there. What in the world? What are they doing to us? They're trying to torment us. But at any rate, that, that foamy soap is supposed to get your hands clean. Now, I think it's supposed to be antibacterial soap, right? But if you work with your hands, you're going to find this, that antibacterial soap doesn't wash off old-fashioned dirt. It may get the germs off, but it doesn't get the dirt off. And you know, you can pile foam upon foam upon foam. And you can scrub and scrub and scrub and scrub. And you can work the backsides and you can, I mean, you can scrub till your, till your hands start to get a little bit sore. And you can put them under the water all you want. But the, there's just some, you, you need a man's soap. You can't have this little foam if you've got old-fashioned dirt on your hands. Sometimes we'd get, uh, we'd get some tar or some caulking on our hands working on the roof. It happens. You don't intend to. You always hate when your hands get in the tar or your hands get in the caulk. You hate that every single time. But sometimes it happens. So what do we do? Well, you've got to have a special kind of detergent that's going to get it off. Can I tell you what so many people in the world are doing today? They find there is sin on my hands, and so they're going to the foam soaps of the world, thinking that the foam soaps are somehow going to get it off. Some of them are scrubbing vigorously. Some of them are scrubbing until things hurt, but it's not washing away the sin. Some of them, some of them have looked at the foam and they've said, that, so, that foam soap isn't going to get my hands clean, so I'm not going to bother. I'm just going to walk away and just going to let it be there. I'm not going to try to get it clean. But I'm going to tell you, there's only one detergent that gets the sin clean in your life and in mine. That's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is this passage of Scripture. We've got a, a, a foe that seems undefeatable. It's the devil. It's the accuser. It's the, the, the enemy. And the Bible says this group of people, the brethren, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. I tell you tonight, that speaks of the salvation that Jesus offers. His shed blood applied to your account and applied to mine to make us clean and pure from our sin. And the good news is, the good news is, that blood is available to every man and every woman and every boy and girl who has ever lived. I get so sick and tired of a society that wants to divide itself along ethnic lines. I get sick of that. Get sick of that. They do it in the United States, and some people try to import that foolishness to Canada. But the Bible says there's no difference. That's what it says in the book of Romans, chapter 10. There is no difference. The Bible says the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me tell you how it is. If you can imagine a large field, perhaps like one of the fields of, of England in days gone by, 
And in this large field, you see on one side, there's an army amassing. They're all in ranks and they have banners to keep them in ranks and they have all kinds of weapons of war. This is the army of Satan. As they ascend the hill in rank, they're all coming to a pitched battle. On the other side is another army. And on this, in this other army, it's the army and the forces of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They're coming and they're going to meet on the top of the hill and there's going to be a pitched battle between the forces of Satan and the forces of Jesus Christ. But in the middle of those two armies stands you. The individual. Here is the army of Satan and here is the army of Jesus Christ. When you make the decision to trust Jesus Christ as Savior, let me tell you what happens. You cast the deciding vote for the army of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And Satan has to blow the retreat because there's no way he can prevail against the blood of Jesus Christ. I want you to see something else. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Look what it says in, in Revelation 12 and verse 11. The scripture says, They overcame him by the word of their testimony. By the word of their testimony. The word testimony is an interesting phrase, an interesting word in our language. There's many different meanings. One of the ways we can use the word testimony is we can use it to mean an attestation of character and behavior. In other words, someone can testify and give testimony about the kind of person that you are. Sometimes in a court of law in North America, we will call, or the lawyers will call, what they deem to be a character witness. What is a character witness? A character witness is someone that will stand up and say, I know this person, and based on what I know of this person, this is the way they live their lives. And hopefully, that's going to sway the jury in a court of law. And so, they give testimony. I want to I ask you something. What kind of testimony do you have? If you know Jesus Christ as Savior, you ought to have a testimony that your life is different from the lives of unsaved people. That's just the way, it, the way it is. Hold your finger in Revelation and go please to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 in your Bibles. I want to show you something. 2 Timothy chapter 2 in the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 2 will direct our attention there to verse 19. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is telling some bad news. He's saying, listen, there's some people that are going to rise and they're going to be speaking perverse things. There's some wickedness that's going to come. And i got to tell you, the wickedness that he talked about, it's, it's here. It's all around us today. And uh, the, the temptation for Timothy might be to despair. Hey, I've seen some Christians in my travels in different parts of the world. They're tempted to despair. Oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Someone was telling me here today that your illustrious prime minister has been the subject of all kinds of ethics violations. Now, I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I haven't studied a whole lot about the, the prime minister. And uh, I'm, I'm not a native of Canada. I'm not a, not a citizen of Canada. But it's a bad day when the leader of a great nation like Canada is subject to ethics violations. But wait, not to be outdone, the President of the United States has now been impeached by the Congress of the United States. So guess what? We're in the same boat. I mean, we're all in this together. 
we've got leaders that I don't know. I don't know what's going on, and I suppose it's all going to come out in a court. Uh, uh, don't don't get me started up on the U.S. Congress. But at any rate, um, it we, we've got problems. We've got problems there. And yet, and yet, the, the the temptation is to despair. But the Apostle Paul says, "Don't despair. Don't despair." Why? Look at verse nineteen, Second Timothy chapter two, verse nineteen. Nevertheless. The foundation of God standeth sure. The foundation standeth sure. Hey, that's pretty important, isn't it? If you have a bad foundation, you're in big trouble. I mean, whatever the building is, if it has a bad foundation, you're in big trouble. Hey, the foundation of God, there's no problem there. There's no problem there. The foundation of God standeth sure. Now, no, notice this. Notice this. Having this seal. Now, I want to talk to you about a seal. We don't use the word seal in quite the same way. In the United States and Canada, we use the word trademark. What is a trademark? If, you, if I, I could bring uh, from, the, from the church basement, I could bring up a can tonight, and uh, it would be a red can, and in a certain kind of script, you would see the letter C O C. A C O L A Coca Cola. Okay? Now, when you see Coca Cola, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, people immediately know that's a Coke. Right? I mean, Coca Colas are in Canada, they're in Mexico, they're in, uh, they're, they're in Central America, they're in South America. You go to Asia, you can pick up a Coca Cola. Coca Cola has gone around the world, and with it, it has a signature trademark. When you see that signature Coca Cola trademark, you know it's not a Pepsi. It's not an AW, is it? No, it's a Coca-Cola. And maybe you like Coca-Cola, or maybe you don't like Coca-Cola, but I'll promise you this. When you see the trademark, you know exactly what's in the can. That's important. Well, the word seal is kind of like our modern-day trademark. It tells you that whatever is on the inside is what it advertises itself to be on the outside. So let's look at this verse now and let's understand the word seal and let's read on. But nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. Here's the seal. Here's what the trademark of Christianity looks like. You ready? Here we go. Number one. The Lord knoweth them that are His. Well, that's good, isn't it? The Lord knoweth them that are His. Let me tell you something. When you trusted Christ as Savior, God knows your name. He knows the hairs of your head. He knows everything about you. That's part of the, of the trademark of authentic Christianity. But wait, there's another side to the coin. The Bible says, The Lord knoweth them that are His, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The Lord knoweth them that are His, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So here it is. Here it is. If you know Jesus Christ, God knows you, and you ought to live in such a way that other people can see that you know Him. That's what it means. That's what He's saying. Now, i got to tell you, there's, a, there's some people in this world that want to claim the name of Christianity, but they don't want to depart from evil. 
They want to be involved in all kinds of wickedness, all kinds of sin, all kinds of things that are not pleasing to God. And what does the Bible say? The Bible says in Revelation 12 and verse 11, they overcame him by the word of their testimony. That means you could see by looking at these people, they are who they say they are. They are true blue through and through. You can look at what they say on the outside. It matches what's on the inside. I want to ask you something. What is your testimony like? What is your testimony like? When people talk about you, do they immediately know? Yeah, I can believe they're a Christian. I can tell it by the way they live their lives. Can they tell that about you? Remember the armies? Over here is the army of Satan. They're coming. Up on the top of the hill they're going to meet. There's going to be a pitched battle. Over here is the armies of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're coming to the top of the hill. On the top of the hill, there's going to be a pitched battle. And remember, who stands in the middle of those two armies? You do. I do. And when we decide, after salvation, we decide, Lord, I am going to live a clean life that pleases you. I'm going to be separate from sin. I'm going to be, I'm going to be separated apart to Jesus Christ. When we do that, uh-oh, uh-oh. Over here in the ranks of Satan's armies, you hear that bugle call again. It's not the bugle call to advance. It's the bugle call to retreat. Because you and I have the ability to overcome Satan by the word of our testimony. There's one more in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. I'll go back there. I would invite you to do the same. Revelation 12 and verse 11. Notice it says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And notice this third item. It's very important. Notice what it says. And they loved not their lives unto the death. You know what? These people were totally surrendered to God. It is natural for humankind to love life. It is natural for you to do everything within your power to preserve your life. That's natural. As a matter of fact, if you, if you try to take your own life, we assume there's something very dreadfully wrong. Our hearts break because it is the natural human tendency to love life and to want to preserve our life. There's nothing wrong with that. But there was something about these people. The Bible says they loved not their lives unto the death. The very thing that humanity loves the most, they seemingly didn't love. Now, does that mean they had a mental problem? No, it doesn't mean they had a mental problem. It means that their love for God was so great that they decided, I'm going to take what I love the most and I'm going to place it before God and I'm going to give it to Almighty God and let Him take it. They loved not their lives unto the death. That speaks of total surrender. Let me just tell you this. If you know Jesus Christ as Savior, there needs to be a time when every person trust Christ. They get saved. That needs to happen. I, that's why we have these meetings. But I'm going to tell you this. After a person gets saved, there needs to come a time in their life when they totally surrender their life to Jesus Christ. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, that means I come to God and say, well, God, all of my plans, you can have them. I had some goals. I had some dreams in my life, and maybe those are right. Maybe those are wrong, but that doesn't matter anymore. I just want to do what you want me to do. You see, the Bible says that God has a will for your life. God made you, 
and God wants to tell you how to live. Now that just makes sense, doesn't it? Many years ago, a farmer was out and, uh, and he was driving from his farm. He was driving from his farm into town and his vehicle broke down and it was just, it was just frustrating. He had the hood up, it was hot and it was dusty and uh, it's in the state of Michigan. He was, he was tinkering with this and fiddling with that and trying to get it to work. And uh, as he was working, it was a dirt road and uh, still in Michigan today, a lot of the roads are dirt. But uh, anyway, he was on this dirt road and it's the summertime and it's hot and the mosquitoes are out and all of this. And uh, he's frustrated, he's bought this thing and it's not running and a, and a limousine, at that time, a limousine pulled up. And it stopped next to the truck. And out of the limousine stepped this man who was kind of like a footman. He opened the passenger door and a man got out in a full suit. And the man went over to the fella that had the hood up on his vehicle. And the, and the man said, uh, sir, may I help you? Oh. He said, I don't know what you can do. You got the suit on, all fancy pants and all this. I don't know what you can do. I'm trying to get this truck to run, and it's not running, and I'm just, I'm just so frustrated. And the man took his coat off, and he said, well, he said, would you mind if I took a look at it? The farmer thought, well, might as well. I'm not getting anywhere with it. So he said, okay, yeah, you can take a look at it if you want to. So the, the fellow rolled up his sleeves, you know, nice white cotton, and then reached down into that greasy old motor. His, uh, his, his cuffs caught some oil as he did so, and the farmer thought, well, I guess it's your coat, your, your clothes. If you want to get them oily and greasy, that's fine with me. And, uh, and then, the, and then the, the, the very well-dressed man said, oh, would you jump behind the wheel and would you just endeavor to give it a start real quick? And uh, so sure enough, boom, it started right up. The farmer said, are you kidding me? He said, man, I, I don't know how to thank you. Thank you so much. What's your name anyway? The man put out a now greasy, oily hand. He said, the name's Ford. Henry Ford. He said, I designed this truck. I know how it works. Can I tell you something? There's a God of heaven that made every bit of you. He made your body. He made your personality. And let me just tell you, He knows how to tell you how to run your life. So, surrendering to God means coming to God and saying, Okay, Lord, I want to do today what you want me to do today. Now, it's a step-by-step thing. It's a step-by-step thing. So, you wake up tomorrow morning. God wants you to do at least three things. Number one, he wants you to read his Bible. You ought to be reading your Bible. Now, maybe you read a verse and maybe you scratch your head and you think, man, I'm not sure what that verse means. Well, you, you, you think about it and, and then and eventually the more you read, the more you'll understand. That's just the way we all learn. When you were born, you were not born speaking the English language. God knows what language you were speaking, but it sure wasn't English. It took some time before you blah, 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 became real sentences that normal people in this part of North America could make sense of. It took some time. And so it is with the Scripture. You're going to read the Scripture. It's going to take you some time. Just keep at it. Because God wants you to read His Bible every day. The more you understand, the more you'll read, and the more you'll find yourself, well, man, i got to know more. i got to know more. Second thing God wants you to do every day, God wants you to pray. What's that? Well, that's just when you come to God and you talk to Him. Just like I'm talking to you or just like you might talk to your friend. 
eventually you'll you'll come to know as you read the Bible there's a lot to prayer there's a part of prayer where you praise God for who he is and what he's done and you learn that in time then there's a time when you petition in prayer you come before God and you and you and, and you you ask him for things Sometimes God gives uh, answers and, uh, that, that, we, that we're looking for, and sometimes He gives us answers that we didn't necessarily expect. But either way, God wants you and me to pray. So He wants us to read our Bible. He wants us to pray. And then He wants us to find someone that we can give the gospel to every single day. Today, I was walking and praying, as I do. I, I generally do about three miles in the morning and then go and, and uh, read my Bible and then go into a workout and then just start the rest of my day and all of that. And so I was, uh, I was doing that this morning when all of a sudden I was praying about this and that and God said, there, I want you to make your way to the basketball court. Now, when I was 18 years of age, me and basketball got along good. There's a scientific phenomenon that has taken place in planet Earth since then. Did you know that Earth's gravitational pull is greater now than it was when I was 18 years of age? That's a scientific fact. That's a scientific fact. Scientific fact. I'm telling you right now. When I was 19 years of age, I could take a volleyball and I could slam dunk a volleyball. That rim has gotten higher over the years. That's right. That's right. I'm today 46 years of age. I went out onto that basketball court, but I was a has-been that never was. Uh, that's, that's just me. And yet, out on that basketball court were two people that God wanted me to talk to today about the gospel. And you know what? God didn't want me to do that because I'm an evangelist. He wanted me to do that because I'm a Christian. And if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, God wants you to find someone that you can be a witness to today. That's the start of surrendering your life. That's the start. That's where it all starts. Beyond that, I don't know where God's will is going to take you. God's will took my dad, for those of you who were able to be in last night's service, God's will took my dad from prison into starting his own business. When my dad's business was going, only God knows how many missionaries he personally supported. I don't know. It wasn't for me to know as his son. But I'll tell you this, there were many, many people that my dad personally helped to keep on the mission field by the money that he made in his business and funneled into the Lord's work. That's just, that's just what God called my dad to do. And all throughout that time, my dad was what we call a lay preacher. What that means is he, he was never a pastor. He was never an evangelist. But I'll tell you what, we went into rescue missions and we preached. We went in and we visited people who were drunks. We visited people who were down and out. We visited people and my dad would take his boy with him and he would say, Paul, I want you to look at what sin does. I want you to see how, how it affects the drunkard, how it takes a respectable man and turns him into just a, a shell of an individual and, and how, it, how he hurts his family and how he hurts his wife and how he hurts his, his children and how he, how he hurts his own self I got to see that as a boy I'm so glad I got to see that but my dad took me one of the first places I ever preached was in a rescue mission I'm glad I got to see that my dad went on to to preach in to, to men behind bars why did he do that well, because somebody came behind bars to preach to him and he got saved so my dad began to preach to men behind bars that was God's will for my dad. I don't know what God's will for you might be. Hey, 
I'm talking to somebody in here, and God may one day want you to be an evangelist and preach the gospel from place to place. I'm talking to somebody in here, God may want you to be a pastor. Now, it, it is natural for God's servants to look at the Lord when He calls them and say, Oh, who, me? No, Lord, you got the wrong guy. That's natural. Moses did it. All kinds of other people did it. Ananias did it. All kinds of other people said, Ah, oh, Lord, are you sure? But you know what? The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. God is calling people what God is looking for in your life and in mine. God is looking for us to surrender. Now, I want to give you a very simple illustration of what surrender means. In my pocket right now, I have, we call it the key. You just take it by faith. There's a key in there. You can pull the key out in case all of the batteries go dead. We understand that. You have some vehicles that are similar, perhaps. But right now, I hold in my hand the key to my truck. And this truck is not the bank's truck. This is my truck. And, and in my pocket, furthermore, in my pocket, I also have some other keys. On this set of keys, there are keys to my trailer. There are keys to my house. Oh, you understand what that means. When I say my house, that means the bank and I have this agreement, okay? Over time, it'll be less and less the banks and more and more mine. Some of you are in a similar situation, okay? But we understand what that means. And so I have, I have the keys to my house, to my trailer, and now the key to my truck. Now, maybe some of you have keys to a vehicle or keys to, to a house. And, and you, you and I speak of those as, as our vehicles. That's, that's my truck. It's my car. It's, it's my house. Maybe you, maybe you have a, a Yamaha Grizzly 750 or, or maybe it's a Honda 300 or, or something like that. Well, that, that's your quad or your ATV or your bike or whatever you call it. We understand that. Those are my things. The human tendency with my things. Are you watching now tonight? Are you watching? The human tendency is this. I take what is mine and I hold on to it. Now you can come and you can take what is mine, but I'm going to fight you for what's mine. Because it's mine. This is my stuff. This is my car. This is my life. This is my house. This is my trailer. That's the way you think. That's the way I think. Let me tell you what surrender does. Are you watching tonight? Are you watching? Surrender says, I come to God with what is mine, not like this. But like this. Now what's the difference? I still hold what is mine in my hand. But I come before the God of heaven not with a clenched fist, but with an open hand. And I say to the God of heaven, dear God, this is what is mine. But anytime you wish, you can take anything that is mine. Wait a minute. When my hand is open, that also means God can put something in it. And surrender means I'm no longer going through life like this. I'm going through life like this. You know what happens when you go through life like that? The armies are converging. Satan's army is coming from this side. The Lord's army is coming from this side. And once again, 
you stand in the middle. When you come to God and say, no more will I live like this, my plans, my, my things, my desires, my no, 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 I'm not going to live like that anymore. Now, I'm going to surrender them. When you make that decision, as the armies are advancing about to do battle royal, all of a sudden you hear that bugle call from Satan's side. It's not the call to advance. It's the call to retreat. Because when you and I make the decision to surrender our lives to God, we overcome Him. Because we love not our lives unto the death. Ladies and gentlemen, Satan... Satan is, seems to be an undefeatable foe. But tonight, the key to his defeat lies in your possession. What decision will you make? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to look into your word and to read about the defeat of Satan. Father, Satan can be defeated tonight by decisions that we have the ability to make. So help us, we pray. Right now, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. There are people making their way to their places for the invitation. I just have a couple questions to ask you. First question is this. Was there a time when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? How many of you can say, Brother Paul, glory to God, there was a time when I got saved. And I, if the blood of Jesus Christ speaks of salvation, then I have made that decision and I have overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb. If that describes you, would you just raise your hand? I know that I'm saved, Brother Paul, not a doubt in my mind. Praise God. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now I want to ask you this. Many of you were able to raise your hands just a moment ago. You need not raise your hand in answer to this, but I would invite you to, to answer it within your heart. The Bible says that they overcame him by the word of their testimony. I want to ask you, what is your testimony like? Your testimony is what other people say about you. They say this about you because they've observed your life. What is the word of your testimony like tonight? Is the word of your testimony, the way you live your life now that you've been saved, is it such that it is dealing a defeat to Satan? The word of your testimony. Let me, let me say this. If the word of your testimony is not such that it's dealing a defeat to Satan, you can change some things. You can make a decision tonight and say, Lord... The things I used to do, I'm not going to do them anymore. The things I used to be involved in, I'm not going to be involved in them anymore. Because if I'm involved in those things, people might not know for sure that I'm a saved person. And I want my life to be lived in such a way that people can look at me and they can know I've been saved. That's what the word of their testimony is all about. I want to ask you a third question. Can you tell me about the time that you surrendered everything to Jesus Christ? I've surrendered all of my plans. I've surrendered all of my ambitions. I've surrendered my friends. Hear me, I've surrendered my past. Maybe it's past accomplishments. Maybe it's past failures. Maybe it's past heartaches. Maybe it's past hurts. 
but I'm surrendering that all to him and I'm going to move forward doing what he wants me to do. I'm going to tell you, that's a way we defeat Satan. If you have never totally surrendered your life to Jesus Christ tonight, I can't think of a better time than now, and I can't think of a better place than the gospel tent to make that decision. One more question. I wonder, is there someone here you'd say, Brother Paul, I've got to be honest. There's never been a time when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. At least, I can't tell you about a time when I was born again. I, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I want to say if that describes you, we're here to help you. We'd like to help you tonight. We're going to start helping you by my praying for you. If you're here tonight and you'd say, Brother Paul, I'm not sure that I'm saved. Would you pray for me? Would you just slip up your hand right now? I'll see it and pray for you. Anybody like that, pray for me. Preacher, I'm not sure that I'm saved. All right, here's what we're going to do. In a moment, we're going to stand. The pianist is going to play a song of invitation. If God has spoken to your heart, maybe you're here tonight and you're not sure you're saved. Here's our invitation to you. If you're here and there's some question in your mind about salvation, I'm going to be down at the front. You slip out of your place, you come, you take me by the hand, and you just tell me, I'm coming tonight because I'm not sure that I'm saved. If you do that, I will pair you man with man, woman with woman, and we will have someone help you from a Bible to know what it means to be saved. I promise you we'll do that. If you're here and you know Jesus Christ is Savior, but God has spoken to your heart tonight, maybe you need to make some decisions. You can slip out of your place. You can kneel here at this platform. You can kneel at this front row of chairs. You can turn around and kneel right in the very chair where you're sitting. If you're unable to kneel, just maintain your seat, but just let's do business with God. If God has spoken to your heart tonight, it's time to do business with Him. It's time to, to, to pray about the things that God has told has been talking to you about tonight. And so I ask you tonight, would you all stand to your feet? Could we all stand to our feet right now? Everyone standing. Father in heaven, you know the hearts of folks tonight. Lord, there have been victories that have been won today. There have been victories that have been won by the blood of the Lamb. And Father, I believe you want to continue that process. I believe you want to win some victories through the word of our testimony. That's going to take more time. But Lord, it starts with the decision that we make. And then Father... You want, to make, you want to see some victories won through surrender as well. Father, thank you so much for all that you've done for us and all that you want us to do for you in return. Have your way in this.